0: It's the Law & Business Podcast, hosted by me, Anthony Verna. We help your business understand its legal obligations better. My practice focuses on trademark, copyright, intellectual property, and advertising. And promotion law. Contact me at anthony at All right, I have theme music. Sounds really good. Thank you for listening to the Law & Business Podcast. This is episode number six, and in it I speak with paul lucas uh, espn's uniform reporter and we speak about design and what makes design happen and what's memorable in in design and what are some tips that uh businesses who are looking at creating new brands can uh think of when designing those new brands and A lot of what Paul has to say talks about not overdoing it and that for a lot of businesses what is iconic extends from longevity and we certainly have I think experienced a lot of marketing advice that says that a logo has to tell the story of the business or that the business name or the branding has to tell the story of the business and trademark law disagrees with that. And I think what Paul has uh, said in in the interview that you're about to hear really emphasizes what trademark law says even though he may not really uh you know have that link in mind. And that is in trademark law marks that are fanciful are easiest to protect and a fanciful mark is one that has no relationship at all between the product and the mark itself. And it's created in only for this actual uh, use and this this use in relating to the brand. A fanciful trademark helps because the relationship is created by the business between the brand or the logo and the products, the goods, or services offered by that business. An arbitrary trademark is one that is already in existence, and the relationship comes from this particular goods, and this particular business. Think of Apple. That really is the traditional arbitrary mark. The word Apple has nothing to do with computers. And the design of an Apple has nothing to do with computers. But this company has created that particular relationship. So think about how trademark law relates to these particular design tips. And I think you'll see that... How law is set up is probably how we already perceive a lot of the world around us. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Anthony Verna. You can reach me at anthony at or at 917-348-0108. Once again, uh, my law practice focuses on intellectual property, trademark copyright, and advertising promotion law. Thanks very much for listening. So, welcome to the Law and Business podcast. I'm joined with Paul Lucas. How are you doing, Paul? Very good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me on. Happy to be here. Not not a problem. Thanks for calling in. And Paul is the uh, shall we say you're the uniform reporter for ESPN. How does that sound? Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. And your blog is Uniwatch blog. Dot com, correct. It is. No, uh, I write a column it's, it's... for
1: ESPN called UniWatch, and then uh, that column, uh, which runs about once a week, is supplemented by a daily blog, also called UniWatch, uh, for people who can't wait a whole week to get their latest uniform news. <laughs> Wonder-
0: yeah, I'm, I'm I'm. one of those people who... who- yeah, that would, Yeah, you would be in the target yes, audience Exactly. That, right? <laughs> exactly. And Exactly. Um, and, and speaking of, of uniform issues, uh, My Eagles came out looking like uh, uh, ink blots last night. And that
1: was that was just dreadful, and that hurt me. <laughs> uh, yeah, they they uh, for the first time in team history wearing solid black. And what was interesting was how the, the dark green helmets I think looked blacker than usual because the rest of the uniform was black. I I agree with you completely. The black of the uh, jersey and pants sort of subsumed the helmet into into its black void
0: (laughs) black hole i agree with you completely uh but but paul you're also not just a uh, a uniform critic i mean that extends from design experience in general and and design critique in general
1: yeah i've done a lot of writing about various forms of design um, graphic design industrial design package design brand design Uh, Etc. For a variety of publications, uh, design publications, uh, as you would expect, also for business publications, Uh, and so um, the the sports design thing, the athletic design, and the uniforms is the is where I do the bulk of my work. But I have also written about many other aspects of design.
0: It's a subset. The sports design is a subset of everything that you've. Yeah,
1: yeah, but it's the big. It's 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 just one section, but it's, it's where I do about 80% of my work, so it, it sort of feels like it's bigger. <laughs> so in,
0: in looking at design in general, are there any thoughts that you could have for businesses in designing logos uh, to, to make something pop, for lack of a better word, but yet, not, but yet feel original? It, it almost feels as if there's a lot of derivativeness in, in today's business design.
1: Um, I would agree, although I think, um, it, it's easy for, you know, for anyone at, ev- at any given moment to feel that way, that <laughs> it, it's hard, uh, unless you step back and have some perspective or, or look back at, you know, um, with distance of a few years hindsight, uh, to really assess what's going on at the given moment. You know, is this a derivative time or is this, you know, uh, an original time or whatever? Um, I think, um, there's never been uh, a more segmented time in, in the consumer landscape, and, and that's likely to continue. Things are going to keep getting more and more segmented, more um, sort of niche markets, niche audiences. And so everything now is, tends to be marketed, uh, including logos and design, um, with that niche uh, appeal in mind. So and- things tend to, to be less broadly appealing and more specific and narrowly targeted uh, and so that it, it, it's easier for you know when you see something to say oh that 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 doesn't feel right to me because well it wasn't intended for you you know it was in, for um, an 18 year old Latina or you know, a sixty-year-old suburban whomever. You know, and and things, things are now narrowly pitched in that way, uh, in a way that they weren't before. And I think that's part of the the challenge that designers face now. On the one hand, you can target something specifically to uh, a narrow niche audience, but on the other hand, um, oh, that means that everyone outside that niche may sort of look at what you're doing and 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 kind of raise an eyebrow.
0: I, you know, if there's one example that comes to to my mind, it's that. Yeah, as 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 an as a trademark attorney, we're always told that something that uh, doesn't connect to the brand is the strongest. You want something that that what we would call fanciful, and and that means there's just a total disconnect because it's something that's totally uh, created for the use of this particular brand. And the classic example there is Kodak. Kodak is a brand name that isn't a word in English you know isn't even a word in any language whatsoever so it doesn't mean anything and and you know Eastman Kodak created you know the that name in order to to relate it to film and more and more I'm finding that names are being created so that they they straddle this line that it's Basically descriptive of what the company does, and a lot of people are critical of of a brand name that that isn't related to what the company actually does and therefore a lot of people are are bringing their logos in tune to that, so that if we're talking about um, a company that provides business services or or you know, you'll see just like a globe because, Hey, we can do stuff around the world. Or, you know, if you're you know, like us lawyers and, and then you have to have a gavel or you have to have, you know, the, the scales because that, that's just what everybody does. And, and it feels as if more and more in, you know, business coaching scenarios, you're told a business person is told find a brand name or, de- or logo design that, that tells everybody what you're doing.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think uh, it's certainly part of the job of logo is to communicate. But it's interesting. You know, when you first uh, asked me to to come on and talk to you about this, and you said uh, we might be talking about some classic logos, and I was thinking of some. And, you know, one that has endured for so long that that immediately came to mind is the CBS logo, you know, the the eyeball, uh, as it's known. Now, that has endured for over half a century, uh, it is, you know, and it's considered a classic, and it's considered um, enormously successful. Um, but it, it strikes me as a, sort of a, an odd candidate to achieve that status. Um, <laughs> it is pleasing, like it has a balance to it. Um, I remember even when I was a kid, and I, I watched a lot more television as a kid than I watch now, and, I, and we didn't have cable when I was growing up. I'm dating myself now. Cable <laughs> didn't exist yet. But like in the 70s, um, so we're watching mainly the three broadcast networks, including CBS, and the, you know, the CBS logo was was part of the backdrop of my youth. And... There was something appealing about it that I still find appealing about it in terms of just as a piece of design that, that it has this balance it has a, a certain pleasingness to it. I don't know how else to put it. But I'm not sure any of that actually communicates anything about a broadcast network <laughs> uh, or media. But, you know, I think it's actually an odd, somewhat unlikely candidate to, to, to be what it has turned out to be. Uh, What
0: do you think about that? I I tend to agree with you, and I was, uh, as you're discussing this, I'm thinking about the NBC Peacock, which right now looks, you know, like several. um, I I don't know how to how to how to describe it, but that logo just kind of has several, you know, lines of uh, not really lines of color. Uh, but it ha- it's had previous versions with an N in it or with an NBC, and it really has gone through iterations, whereas... The, it has, this-
1: now, but, the, you know, uh, again, hearkening back to the era in which I grew up, uh, in the 70s was was when America was switching over from black and white to color television, and the the peacock symbolized that. Yes. It, it symbolized color TV and uh, the, the explosion of color that um, epitomized not just uh, the changes in television... But um, really, throughout uh, America's visual uh, programming, if you want to call it that, you know, clothing became much more colorful. And that was in part because of um, new fabrics mm-hmm. that allowed uh, new, new kinds of color dyes to be used. And so we had all kinds of, like, psychedelic and very loud, if you want to call <laughs> that, loud, colorful clothing. But also, that was the fashion industry responding to the advent of color television, uh, because you could now things could now be seen on television in a colorful way that you know didn't happen before. So there was sort of like a a chicken and egg issue here, like that that TV um both responded to and helped uh, become the impulse for um, a much more colorful world out there. And so the peacock, I think, was a great example of that. But what did the CBS Eye really symbolize? They worked for CBS News, where they would say, "I on this," and you know CBS Eye on America. It looked sort of investigative. Um, or you know, arguably even Big Brotherish, right? The eyeball. <laughs> um, but you know, if you if you're just uh, putting on all in the family or other sitcoms, or you know, Mash or the other sitcoms that CBS had at that time, what does the eye, the eyeball, stand for? I, I think a lot of a lot of logos. Not I'm not saying it's, this is always the case, but I think there are plenty of cases, and the CBS logo is a good example, um, where a lot of times it, it's just a case of the the brand or the company is successful and somewhat omnipresent, and so the logo is omnipresent and therefore assumed to be successful, and and I'm not so sure that is a successful logo or, or if it just has more of endurance going for it, and I think that's true of a lot of logos. I think a lot of logos sort of are what we make of them, uh, and. Uh, especially in the era before the Internet and before social media and, and before all sorts of ways to analyze and critique and, and make fun of <laughs> logos, <laughs> uh, I think it was much easier to put a logo out there and just have it be, you know, this is it, this is what we're doing, and, you know, boom, that's it, the end. And, and if a company wants to stick with it for 30 years, well, after 30 years, it sort of assumes a sort of a kind of institutional uh, monolithic sense of, of timelessness. And and that is equated with success. Sure. And I, I I think um I think there are a lot of logos out there that fall into that category that that maybe maybe they're good or maybe they're not. But I think their their sort of assumption of success has more to do with longevity than with anything else. I
0: you know looking looking in the tech industry at at Microsoft and Apple for example, Microsoft recently redesigned the Windows logo to be flat and streamlined. And therefore, what used to be Windows, which was four colors and kind of, kind of curvy, actually, when you think of, when you think about how it looked, isn't that, that now feels a little dated, and the the new logo feels streamlined. And Apple has certainly uh, revised its Apple logo. Uh, it used to be a rainbow color, uh, right? You know, and and now it's just a, a silver color.
1: Apple obviously is one of the more aggressive uh, companies in terms of. Um, keeping design at the forefront of what they do, and um, and wanting design to be part of how we think about them. You know, they're a tech company, but they're really perceived in many people's minds to be a design company.
0: Which started, uh, which, I, which actually started early. Uh, sorry, sorry to, to interrupt you. When um, I, I forget if it was Jobs or Wozniak, I, and it may not have been either of them, said that. When they were typing on on other computers, they wondered why they couldn't type in other fonts, and that mm-hmm. part of the font was the, was the design, and that seems to have trickled down, for lack of a better phrase, to through Apple um, in in all areas.
1: Yeah, I think you know most people would perceive Apple to be as much of a design company uh, as a tech company, and that's something that I I would say Microsoft does not have that. You know that people do not perceive them that way. Uh, and, and that can be you know for for better or for worse, but Apple has clearly you know everything from um, the the physical hardware of of the gadgets themselves to the interface and how we interact with them um, all of it it, it it tells you every everything about it says you know this is a company that thinks about design as it's designing tech products
0: so. In, in for, for smaller businesses, uh, just out of curiosity, are there any thoughts and ideas for a smaller business when they're starting from a zero point for a new brand or or to create a brand that they should keep in mind?
1: I would say don't overthink it uh, just come up with something that's just that, that is distinctive um, that you know that people are going to notice uh, without it being you know, loud or too aggressive or too, um, confrontational or something like that. Um, but as I said earlier, I think a lot of times, um, the success of a logo is, is really just tied to the, su- the success of a company and that, uh, you know, obviously you want a good logo, you want a good mark. Um, you want to make a good impression on people, but, um, even the best logo isn't going to save a bad company or a company <laughs> with a bad product. And, uh, while I do think the reverse, uh, could be true that a, that um a good company can save a bad logo uh, or a logo that's sort of nondescript um because i think the, uh, the ultimately the product and the, the business um it's people's perception of that is is much more important especially for a small business a community business um is more important than um the perception of of the logo itself
0: i, I always i always um Whenever I'm talking with, uh, you know, a new client or when I'm talking with, say, their their marketing company, because because certainly sometimes I need to do that. I I always find as if in today's world, overthinking is the norm because they're looking for something, something to grasp and everything has to have meaning to it. And, and it feels as if right. over And, and, and also, if,
1: if you'll excuse me for interrupting, of course. because everyone thinks now, even people who never heard of this term 10 years ago or never thought of themselves as being in the marketing business, everybody talks about branding, right? It's like the most overused term. <laughs> oh, I'm going to brand myself as this, or we're going to rebrand as this. And, you know, it used to be in, in the line of work i mostly do with the, the uniform writing, it would be a team is getting a new uniform. And Sometimes you still hear that, but more often you hear a team is rebranding, and um, that that notion where I think everybody feels that they are on some level, no matter how small their business, or even if it's just a business of one, if it's just you yourself as a as a sole proprietor, um, that that somehow you are uh, uh, have to assume this sort of corporate level of branding. Um, I think it's misguided. I think it's overdone. Um, I mean, ultimately, I, I think it, obviously you do want to stand for something. You want you and your work and your business to, and your design and all that. You want to stand for something. But ultimately, um, the quality of your work and your product is, is what's going to define you more than any you know uh, scheme or calculated branding appeal.
0: I'm going to completely agree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> even though what I do is nothing but protect brands, but I also protect businesses.
1: Oh, no, it's obviously it's important that brands yeah. be protected. I don't, I don't mean to dismiss that. Uh, I'm just saying that I think people fixate on this notion, uh, almost like a buzz term, uh, of branding um, to the point where they forget what it's supposed to be. The brand is supposed to support what you do, you know, not mm-hmm. the other way around. And, and I think some people get that, that relationship backwards.
0: Oh, I, I I, certainly certainly agree with you on that. There have been times when I've been, uh, you know, looking at, say, a, a brand new fight, you know, whatever that dispute may be and in whatever court it may be, and I look at the client and I say, are you sure it's worth the fight? Because branding and, and in general trademark law is all optional for a business. And that option can easily be changed. Now, for some businesses it's harder than others but i've certainly negotiated changes where the one side will say well, look we'll we'll let you go and and just use everything that you have right now but make sure there's a you know the new logo on on the new batch uh, it right. feels as if a lot of people fall in love with uh, a particular logo that they've designed the first time and don't necessarily go for a change it's 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 they become latched onto
1: the... well it's understandable sometimes you feel like an, an emotional connection to something that you, you you know you're the first iteration of something um and so i understand i understand that impulse but i you know obviously sometimes uh, you have to think more with your head than with your heart on these situations <laughs>
0: no doubt no doubt about that so what else when when we're thinking um iconic design what else comes comes into your mind
1: uh, about, I, you mean examples of yes, iconic sorry, design? Yes, sorry, What is it about Yes, exam- Yes, design? examples of, of iconic design. Sorry. You know, a, a lot of times, again, I, I don't I don't mean to harp on this theme, but sometimes longevity or, or perception of what's iconic can trump what's, you know, something that under closer scrutiny doesn't really hold up. And I'll give you a great example, um, uh, again, from the world where I do most of my work, which is uh, sports design. Uh, I think most people would agree that nothing is more iconic in the world of sports than the uh, or sports visuals than the New York Yankees and their their visual program. And, they have one. Uh, well, of course. I mean, <laughs> their, their uniforms, their cap. I mean, it hasn't changed very much. If that's what you mean, they 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 don't go all out uh, with all sorts of crazy designs. But they certainly have, I think, what most people would consider to be something very iconic. But what's interesting uh, is that probably the, the cornerstone of that uh, so-called so or supposedly iconic program is the interlocking NY logo uh, that appears on their jerseys and their caps and their batting helmets and so on. And what's interesting is that if you look closely, uh, and I've certainly looked very closely, um, the one on the jersey, the NY on the jersey, is not the same as the NY on the cap. And that is not the same as the one on the uh, batting helmet. And then uh, I get mixed up now. Which of the three is used uh, <laughs> uh, on the grass behind home plate? But they mix and match. Um, some varied, If you overlay them, if you were to take the NY and sort of lay them over, you'd see very clearly that the contours of the letter forms are quite distinct. Um, the, the biggest difference is between the one on the cap which is sort of streamlined and narrow compared to the one on the jersey which is more kind of loopy and wide uh and it you know so here we have an obvious inconsistency and you know in the middle of this program that is thought of as being iconic and everybody talks about oh the interlocking NY as this singular thing this per, you know this right. this symbol of perfection that, that will never be changed, has never been changed. And it's not even consistent with, you know, when Derek Jeter was standing up there, you know, during his career, uh, standing at home plate um, or standing uh, at shortstop, never once did the NY on his chest match the NY on his cap or his helmet. Uh, and that's something that I think just doesn't matter to people if they're even aware of it. And if you point it out to them, they say, oh, oh, well, that's interesting. But they don't really care because the Yankees have this perception. Of of iconicity or iconicness, uh, and obviously part of that perception is bound up in their considerable history of success on the field. Um, but it, it's also, I think, another case, sort of like the CBS example, where um, it has to do with longevity, and and if you sort of say something often enough, uh, people accept it as the truth, and then you point out. Uh, like, well, actually, there's a little flaw here, or maybe kind of a big flaw. And people were like, oh, well, okay, but it's still iconic. (laughs) And (laughs) and so I think a lot of times it's sort of a case of iconic is as iconic does, uh, or as iconic is perceived. And and I I think um, I I read an interview once with uh, uh, Paul Rand, you know, probably the greatest American graphic designer of the last century, uh, who did so many uh, important logos, corporate logos uh, in, in the 1900s. He did the, the classic ABC uh, logo with the, the three letters in the circle. Uh, he did the UPS logo. He did many, many uh, corporate logos. And um, they asked him, uh, what would you change if you could do something differently? And he, he went into some detail about some aspects of the UPS logo that he felt were flawed. And ever since I read that interview, I, I can no longer look at the UPS logo without seeing these flaws. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm not going to spell them out in part because they're they're pretty detailed, but also because I would ruin it for you and anyone else listening to this. But the point is that once you know, once you accept that something's iconic, you tend to start uh, you tend to stop scrutinizing it. Uh, and in fact, uh, under scrutiny, a lot of things have a lot of flaws or inconsistencies or you know cracks in the facade. And even Paul Rand himself had regrets and things he would go back and do differently, like, the, you know, these details of the UPS logo that I mentioned. And so I think this notion of iconic has a, a lot more to do with kind of a perception and almost like a herd mentality where everybody just sort of nods and says, yep, that's how it is. <laughs> uh, and that's not to say there are no great logos or designs out there, but that um, – that maybe we need to think a little harder sometimes, uh, and, and think for ourselves, and not just agree with everybody that, that uh, you know that this is the way it is. Uh, one person's iconic, maybe somebody else's garbage, and, and vice versa, uh, and and it's really just a matter of what what works for you.
0: When I, when I it's funny that you said that. When I think of the ABC logo, I just kind of look at it and I say, well, all it is is ABC in a circle. It's right. It, it doesn't right. tell me anything. About what's behind it, you know. If, right. if the CBS I works for at least news because we have the eye on a particular subject and we're going to go deep and 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 discuss uh, the topic in depth, then the ABC logo just tells me, you know, an NBC was great for, for you know the peacock is great for color. The ABC logo it tells me nothing about the company whatsoever. Right. That's I mean, You could it.
1: even you could even you could even argue that it you know it it. it presents this notion of a kind of childish or childlike uh, uh you know perception because uh, it's uh, now i know my abcs right like a like a, <laughs> a little like a child's reader um i never and, thought of that before uh and so yeah you wonder like I've always wondered with Paul Rand, you know, what how many iterations of that did he do? What other concepts did he explore before he said, eh, I'll take the three letters and put them in a circle." <laughs> you know, like that's genius. I'm not saying it isn't a good logo. I'm saying that, you know, sometimes, you know, in in the case of that logo, I think part of it is that Paul Rand himself is perceived to be iconic and that everything he touched therefore is is considered to be gold. And um I, I think that that, it, again, it, a lot of this, I think, has to do with perceptions. And a, a good logo, I think, is, is often just a logo for a good company and that the company makes it good. If, if the company is successful and keeps the logo for a long time, like ABC did, I think that's another case where like, longevity and durability um, can just sort of translate to the perception of success.
0: No, I, I I do agree with you on on some of that, that the company that's behind the logo needs to be good in order for that perception to actually come through. Because, mm-hmm. you know, a bad company with a good logo isn't going to be around for a long time, and people really aren't...
1: Also, you know, there, there are things where... Now, this may just be me. I, I remember when Under Armour was starting up, and again, to go back to sports, because right. uh, that's where I do most of my work... Um, They've got that that logo where it's sort of it,
0: it's it, it's supposed to be a U A. It's but a it vertical looks
1: like, symmetry where the U and the A sort of mirror But it looks itself. like an X to a lot of people. Oh, you know, honestly, I've never thought of that. Oh, <laughs> huh. All right. Well, now what I was going to say is, uh, when they started up, I perceived that to be sort of a scrappy logo, a sort of a, a logo for an upstart company. Because that's what they were. Now, I'm not sure how much of it is because that's how I already perceived the company. Therefore, that's how I perceived the logo. Or if the logo truly did capture that feel. But, of course, they're not such an upstart anymore. And I think that's something small companies need to think about, too. If you've got big plans and big dreams, um, you know, you don't want a logo that looks too too much like, uh, you know, like, if you're, going, if you're planning to go corporate, you don't want to look too indie at the start because maybe you won't be indie for very long. And so I think that's something to keep in mind as well, that uh, you need something that kind of works across all classes and platforms and things like that, even though I said earlier that you now pretty narrow target. <laughs> but um, but in terms of size and, and sort of scope uh, of your business, um, um, you want something that, that can work uh, as your company grows. That the logo can grow with you.
0: It, it's it's interesting that, that you say that. I just, I, I want to say it was yesterday. Could have been a couple days ago, but anyway, saw a a sign for a marketing company that promised to be edgy, and part of uh, part of the design in the sign was what was supposed to look like graffiti, and I thought to myself, well, is that really Edgy in 2014 to begin with, and two, if I'm building a business, I, I can't always be edgy because I need people. Yeah, to Yeah, at some into point, if
1: you're successful, you're not going to be edgy anymore, right? <laughs> you're going to be like sort of part of the mainstream, or gonna, whether by design or whether by you know because you've been co-opted and the mainstream sort of caught up with you or whatever. But um, yeah, like if you're going to basically, you don't want to look too much like an outsider if your goal is to eventually become an insider.
0: I, I think that's. I think that's very very wise advice it feels as if a lot of um it feels as if there's there's just a lot of segmentation as well as a lot of promises of edginess but of course a lot of us are really trying to build businesses that that don't segment and you know we want more than than one particular demographic coming in and people who are building businesses want uh you know, various people, you know, just to, to keep coming in, and therefore you can't be too edgy or too segmented.
1: Yeah, you know, the the thing about edgy is, is sort of a, a synonym for, uh, um, like a proxy for the notion of the renegade, right? And, and that's very popular in business. They're like, oh, I don't do it the way the other guy does, <laughs> or weak outside the box, or, you know, basic, we zag, or you know any of these cliches, but they all come down to this notion of the renegade—that you do it your way, um, not uh, you know just the way everybody else does it—and that's what distinguishes your business. Um, but at some point, um, this notion of the—you know—first of all, not everyone can be a renegade. Uh, you know, if there's like a million businesses on the block, where they're all renegades? Come on. And, and even though it sometimes seems that way, that that's sort of how people try to market and present themselves. But also. Um, if you're going to be successful at some point, you're not going to be the renegade anymore. You're going to be, uh, again, you won't be the outsider. You're going to end up being an insider. And so you have to come up with an approach, uh, you know, for your business and, and for your logo and your brand, um, that can grow as, as you and your, your business grow.
0: Paul, thank you so much. I know that you need to run because you've got other work to do. And so I won't, won't keep you. Thank you so much for coming. How can people find you again?
1: Um, They can go to uh, the UniWatch blog at uh, uniwatch.com. That's U-N-I hyphen W-A-T-C-H dot com. Uh, And then once they're there, they can... um Uh, find my other work on ESPN and other places. And they can also find me uh, on Twitter um, at at UniWatch, U-N-I-W-A-T-C-H. So the hyphen is in the the website URL, but not in the Twitter handle, which I know is confusing. And you see, that's a great example of bad branding.
0: (laughs) Yet everybody seems to find you. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Paul, thank you so much.
1: Take care.